another episode of Dr. Me First. It's me, your colleague in medicine, coach in life, queen of burnout and sass, mother of dragons, keeper of alpacas and chickens. <laughs> Just me, Aaron freaking Wiseman. I'm so glad to have you here on another episode. I have got one of, I say this all the time, but I truly mean it. One of the most impactful conversations that I've had with a friend and luckily, we were able to get it recorded. I am bringing to you today, she is a coach. She does executive work. She's a facilitator, a speaker, a writer. She is just so deeply passionate in serving those who serve and lead. She is the amazing Dr. Yovana Tor. She gave me this quote in her bio. I have to read it because I had heard it before, but I hadn't heard it in a while. But it's by Fred Rogers. When I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helper, son. You will always find people who are helping. And let me tell you, this woman is one of those. Jump into the conversation with me and you're going to have tingles all over your spine. All right, here we go. Welcome to the podcast, my friend, my fellow Physician Coaching Alliance member. <laughs> it's just so good to have you on here. I People, I have rescheduled this podcast because the, like we were talking about earlier, the shitstorm that has been 2023 with some health-related issues. But I am so glad to have on here Dr. Yvonne Ator. Thank you so much for coming here today with me. Thank you so much for having me, Erin. It's a pleasure. I'm, I'm really excited and honored to be here. Well, you're one of my favorite people in the world. So tell everybody Aww. out in the podcasting world a little bit about yourself and jump into why you're here today. Yeah. Tell you a little bit about myself. Okay. So I'm a, obviously I'm a, I'm a physician. I'm a physician coach. I've spent the past almost 10 years coaching a specific kind of physician. It's a mission-driven, heart-centered physician who went into medicine to help people and finds themselves burning out or uh, at a crossroads or disillusioned or compassion fatigued and wondering, like, how did I get here? And I'm really passionate about helping this specific kind of idealistic physician, compassionate, idealistic physician, go back to thriving again and helping them serve sustainably so they can continue to serve and make the difference that they went into medicine to to make. Uh, so I've been doing that. I'm, I'm really passionate about it. In the middle of that, also, I think as I started doing the coaching, I'm a personal executive coach for physicians, but I'm also a facilitator of all of Brene Brown's work. And as I started doing that work, like coaching people and like bringing them to a safe place, which is me and they're getting coached and they're getting the skills. And then now I have to send them back to the dumpster fire <laughs> wherever they came from. So I'm also really passionate about helping transform the culture of medicine so that this specific kind of compassionate, idealistic physician can stay. Because those are the people I see that are suffering the most, who, those who will really sacrifice and give their everything to be of service. So um, helping them enjoy serving again and um, and thrive while doing it is what I'm really, really passionate about. So that's a little bit about me. I love that you put in your bio that you're the helper to helpers and the sheepdog to sheepdogs. <laughs> yes. Uh, I wish I came up with that myself, but that's what people were like. 
seems like you help the helpers. And I was like, yeah, I'm really actually very passionate about this specific kind of person who's always, I think ever since I was a kid, I was always like looking at people who help others. And I'm always like, but who is helping that person? Like who's, who has your back? I'm always, even with my professors, I was always wondering they're teaching us, but how are they doing really? So I think I've always had that inclination to be like the helper for helpers or the the sheepdog for the sheepdogs. And uh, it's something that I carry now, like, you know, with other professions as well, whether it's veterans or teachers, I find myself really wondering how is this person doing as they're serving. And that's just my um, inclination now. Yeah, you're so multi-passionate. I love that you're an idealist. And a couple months ago, when we were in a PCA meeting, we were talking about the culture of medicine. And you reminded me of a quote that I said, which the strikes are coming. Talk to the people a little bit more about what we were talking about and your thoughts on that. Yeah. So I will have to flash back to like 2011 when when I started getting the sense that the strikes were coming. So I am a physician, obviously, and I went through a really intense pre-burnout situation during my residency, doing the 80-hour weeks, this was before all the regulations started <laughs> doing the 80 hour weeks with a newborn and all of that and really having a hard time. And I started wondering whether something was wrong with me because I wasn't hearing anybody else talk about it. So when I took a break and started studying, I got a master's of public health at Hopkins um, in their public health program. While I was studying there, I started learning about personal development and organizational development. And I was like, ha, oh, this is interesting. So I started noticing the trend, you know, in public health, they teach you at epidemiology, you get to notice patterns. So I started noticing in that public health program, what I was seeing in medicine, which is this, at that point, no one was talking about burnout. No one was talking about any of that. And I started noticing this thing. I was like, oh, like I thought maybe it was because I wasn't Maybe I thought if I could get two hours of sleep instead of three hours of sleep, maybe I'll do better. But apparently this thing is not just happening to me, but it's happening to other people. And it's not a matter of like squeezing, squeezing more and more hours out of you. It's like, this is a real situation. So that's the backdrop. And then like 2011, you know, as I was studying, getting my public health master's, my dad uh, who was in Nigeria, I was in Baltimore. He had a stroke, went into a coma. And while he was in the coma over there, the physicians in Nigeria went on strike. And when they went on strike, they emptied out the whole hospital. So imagine a whole ICU with like comatose people and like people who are hooked up on all the things are now being discharged. And so imagine, just imagine a hospital emptying out and families running about trying to figure out where to take their their family member, their loved one to, right? So I'm in the States here on the Bal- in Baltimore on the phone, like screaming, trying to find out like where my dad is being taken to. Turns out he ended up in a, uh, a rural clinic somewhere. I don't know. To this day, I don't know where he ended up, but it was a clinic. I know it was a clinic and he's an ICU patient. And so like within 24 hours, he was dead. So for me at that point, looking at my burnout experience and what had happened with those physicians over there. And then that same year, a family, a family friend also jumped off a bridge during her residency year. I was like, I, I think I'm looking at like a flash forward to what happens when physicians are not taken care of. When we fast forward the tape to, if we continue with the status quo, this is coming to the US. So from 2011 to now, like I've just been beating the gong that 
with the rhetoric I was seeing on the ground here in the States at that time, I was like, you know, the physician, uh, physician suicides were starting to, you know, ramp up. I was like, something is coming. Something's coming. I could feel it. I could see it. And I did, a um, my final capstone paper on physician strikes around the world. And just all the data I was gathering, I was like, this is going to hit the U S and then COVID happened. And when COVID happened and I'll never forget, I was put in a Facebook group and in that Facebook group, physicians were now like having like real conversations about unionizing. And incidentally, now I'm in a situation where I have a physician client, a coaching client and a hospital administrator client. And they're both in the system where all the doctors just filed to unionize like last month. So the the physician strikes are coming. And so for me, it's this thing where we really have to prioritize. Now nurses are able to go on strike, you know, nurse practitioners, everybody else is able to go on strike. We're able to deal with it. I feel like if we don't get this situation under control with really taking care of our physicians, the strikes are coming. And I've been talking about this, but now you see the actors are going on strike, the auto industry, they're on strike, the, the writers are on strike, like everyone's on strike. But because the physician is so overworked and overwhelmed, it's really hard to band together and unionize, you know, so keep them as busy as possible so they don't get to advocate for themselves. But we're seeing that even with that, it's coming. Like people have had enough. At first, when I first started this work, I was like, oh, I want to prevent physician suicides from happening. I don't want what happened to my dad to happen here in the US. That was always my thing. And during COVID, when I saw how physicians were treated, you know, being punished for asking for PPE, being punished for speaking up and advocating for their rights and all of that. I was like, you know what? Actually, I think the strikes need to happen so that because people are not listening. And so that's that's where that came from. This this thing that the strikes are coming. Actually, now it, it's here. It's only a matter of time now. It's already happening before our eyes. So but the thing is, my concern is that people will die. Like you don't want a situation where a hospital is being emptied out and you're already understaffed. Now, where are you going to get people to cover when people are emptying out the hospital? So this is a real situation. I don't think anyone has thought through. And the only reason I'm even thinking about it is because I've been through it, not just as a physician, but also the loved one of, of someone who died during a physician strike. So that's what I meant by when we're talking about the strikes are coming. That's what I was talking about. Yeah. And I think it's a very relevant conversation. I think a lot of employed doctors are scared. There's a fear there to even talk about like what this would look like. But yet mm-hmm. you're right. I mean, why do people strike? They strike because a- an action must be made. Attention must be brought to an issue. And what I'm seeing too, and I applaud it, is doctors talking with their feet. You know, they're going and starting their own practices. Many of my best friends now are doing telemedicine practices and they love their fucking lives. And I am so happy for them. But the system for which we work in, you know, we just got through July with all the Medicaid dropping people from COVID funding, you know, Medicare. They're once again talking about making an overhaul with I'm with you. It's like I think the system has to burn. Yeah. It has to break completely down. And you were asking me about values earlier. Values work is a key 
is one of the most important thing I do, things I do with my clients. And and I I'm an idealist, so like I'm all about values, right? A true idealist is someone who believes so much in their values that they're willing to sacrifice for it. And there's a quote by Brene Brown that says that the space between your practice values and your professed values is where burnout lives. And what I see happening in medicine is that the physicians and and you know most of the healthcare workers have this set of values, right? They're taking a vow to first do no harm, to to sacrifice for the patient, to be there, blah, 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 blah. But the administrators and the executives, for the most part, not saying all of them, because I do know some good administrators who really care, but their set of values is completely different. It's really about the bottom line, the profit. How can we bring money in? How can we get those the RVUs up and all of that, right? So it's like, there are two completely different value systems in medicine and they're fighting. And either one wins out or we find a bridge between the two, right? And so we have to be able to speak to both value systems, right? The administrators, I remember sitting in a meeting and I was like trying to get my work into hospitals, which for me has been like very, very hard. If I'm being honest, I've been at this for nine years and each year has been like hard to get into hospitals, but I was meeting with this hospital president and talking to him about what we're talking about now. And he was like, I just don't understand why would a physician who has sacrificed like so many years of studying and they've put in so much energy into their work, why would they quit medicine? You sat there and looked at him like, what? Asking me, but he was like, genuinely, like he did not know. And that's when I realized, wow, they're completely two, like two completely different universes. And Either we start speaking the language of letting them know where it hurts, like speaking to them in terms of where it hurts, the bottom line, that if physicians are not taken care of, it will affect your bottom line. Here's how much it costs to retrain or how much it costs, how much I think it's like a million dollars to cost a physician or something like that. Here's how it hits you. Until we have that shared language, things are going to have to completely break down. And like I said, unfortunately, people will be hurt, not just the patients and their families, but also physicians. Because when you make that vow and if you have that natural inclination to sacrifice, to be of service, when you make that vow to first do no harm, it will be morally injurious. You will have some moral injury trying to do the right thing, which is advocating for yourself at this point so that the patients will get help. So even seeing that people will be harmed by going on the strikes will be even though it will be short, uh, long-term in, in the favor of the physicians, short-term, it will be morally injurious to the physicians as, as well. So this is like an unnecessary, well, it's a necessary evil in a way, but I don't really see any other way because from the stories I'm hearing for diff- from different hospitals, there's just not this sense of like really wanting to bring the physicians in. It's more about slashing, like slashing costs and, and the physicians are the last to know. I I have this client who was telling me about the, her hospital where the physicians or their vacation hours just got cut from five weeks to like three weeks without even any discussion, just to slash quote unquote the the costs. But then the executives are still getting their millions. It's just something has to give. Absolutely, I know it's been about two years ago, but I was talking with an administrator, and I I think this comment came out flippantly. And we were talking business stuff. So I think they forgot that I was a physician by training, but they said essentially, and I'm paraphrasing, we always lose money when it comes to doctors. They just cost so much. They want so much. 
that's why we were really more of a, a mid-level organization talking about wow. NPs and PAs. And I was really taken aback by that. I'm still taken aback by that. And, and unfortunately wow. in that moment, I was so like shell-shocked. I didn't have a response. Yeah. But what I would say now is what's the price of leadership? What's the price of complex thinking? What's the price of experience? You, you know, to say that, well, we, we always lose money when it comes to hiring doctors. I was like, and this is the, this is the system for which I swim in. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's the lens through which they view every doctor. And if that's the lens they view th every doctor through, where it's this lens of scarcity and how much you're costing me, not how much you're, we stand to gain by having you here. It explains a lot about why doctors are treated the way they're treated. Well, and I feel like on the onboarding and like the recruiting process, you hear all the words of like, we value you and, and that sort of thing. And I do, I'm going to put this caveat. I think there are some organizations who are doing it right, but they yes. are very far and few between. Yes. So let me just put that out there to if there's admin administrators listening and you are heart driven, you really are in your mission and purpose. Thank you. But we need you Thank to you. be louder. Yes. <laughs> we need you to be much louder and we need you to hire all the doctors as much as you can because doctors talk, especially pissed off doctors and happy doctors. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> So you talked about, we have two different value sets. I always say it's like divorced parents. We're just getting along for the kids, the patients. With your work with anti-fragility and like trying to figure out this medical culture, what do you foresee for the future? Yeah. So, you know, the resilience work right now, it's the R word. It gets a bad rap now because people are like, well, I don't want to do yoga. I don't want to meditate. Like I'm tired and you know, nothing's changing and this sucks. What I've been telling my people is that you really, this, I, I really love this, the term anti-fragility and it's, I, I have a past, you know, a past life where, you know, for this work, I did go and train with a retired Navy SEAL commander to learn all things, resilience and anti-fragility and mental toughness and all of that, because I see that everyone's waiting for the system to change. Well, power will not be given. It, it kind of has to be taken and it will be impossible for you to self-advocate and fight for healthcare and, uh, and your practice if you're burned out and overwhelmed. So yes, the R word, it's, it's like the F word right now. And no one wants to talk about resilience, but resilience has to do with like, you know, when you're stretched, you go back to how you were before. Antifragility is that when you have any kind of stretch or any kind of impact on you or any kind of pressure, you actually become stronger for that pressure. I always think about like the Black Panther and the Black Panther suit, right? The more impact you get, the more potential energy you have to take action, next right action. So starting to change how you view what's happening to, to you first is not happening to you. In what ways can we start to make this situation happen for us? What are the opportunities that we see and how can I train myself so that even in the middle of this situation, I can have the bandwidth, the bandwidth and the capacity to really use my voice, right? Whether it's, you know, unionizing or speaking up in some way or advocating or having the hard conversations, the time for learned helplessness, which is, you know, 
this the situation in which when you've had so many stresses and failures and bad situations, you become so traumatized that you just kind of, you know, lay back and just roll with it. That time is over. People are killing themselves. Patients are dying. Physicians are dying. Those are left. If you're there and you're listening to the sound of my voice, it's really imperative. It's really up to you, especially if you're mission-driven and heart-centered. It's really up to you to do whatever is necessary to fill your cup and increase your bandwidth and capacity. I know it's hard, especially when you're tired and exhausted, but that's pretty much the only way <laughs> you can try to find a way to creating the world you want. Unfortunately, we have to be the change that we want to see. And so that's the work I've had to do with my clients or giving them tools and resources to become anti-fragile, whether it's, you know, having their rituals in place, whether it's having their mindset and the, the frameworks in place around self-compassion, which again, sounds like, you know, touchy-feely, but I'm very much a technician. So when you talk about compassion, self-compassion, what are the parts? Mindfulness, uh, common humanity, and um, being kind to yourself, right? Being able to have that increase your capacity to take care of yourself so that you can show up for those you serve. Whether it's hope, you know, what does hope look like? Hope looks like having a goal and making sure that you have the sense of agency to accomplish that goal and having a pathway forward putting in the time to sit down and figure out what strategies you want to take. So these are all like touchy feely words, but they're actually very science backed words and frameworks that you can actually take use to take aligned action in creating the life you want. So unfortunately, unfortunately you'll have to train whether it's, you know, working on your own stuff, getting help with a therapist, getting help with a coach, working out, moving your body, developing yourself mentally, emotionally, spiritually, so that you can start to show up and create the life you want and connect with other physicians. This is really important. You cannot do it by yourself, but you want to be able to have the capacity to even have the conversations and uh, with others who are like-minded and like-hearted so that you can start to rally around the goals that you have in creating the kind of environment and healthcare that you want. Sometimes, right, you might have to leave. And if you don't have that bandwidth, there'll be no energy to even pack up and go. So in the event that you have like a very toxic situation or a very harmful situation, and you're feeling like there's, you know, the only option is leaving, you need bandwidth for that too, right? You, so that you're not like leaving in a way that completely blows things up and sets you up for burned bridges and uh, sets you up for a situation where you, you don't have any options, right? So stepping back from that tunnel of burn, burnout doing whatever it takes to increase your capacity helps you to see your options. When you're in that situation where you feel trapped, you only see one one option and that's to blow things up or burn out or, or quit or whatever, but you do have options. In order to see those options, you will have to step back and do some training and increase your capacity and bandwidth so that you can do the thing. Absolutely. You know, because just like when I learned the first time I ran a code, who has the most important pulse in the room? It's you, me, the one running the code so that we can keep it all together. And you're right with the hopes that we can make very effective and powerful change. We have to have that margin, that capacity that you were talking about to not just get up, eat breakfast, brush your teeth, drive to work, do your work, drive home, crash, and then shampoo, rinse, repeat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. I've been there. I know you've been there. 
Yeah. And we are put on this earth to do more than work and pay bills and die. And I think that's part of the issue with the medical culture is that for so long, doctors are like, I just want to take care of patients. I just want to take care of patients. I just want to do my job. When instead, part of doing our job is one, taking care of ourselves and two, being the advocates. Yeah. But we're so tired and we're so burnt out. We can't even fucking advocate because we're just trying to like keep from drowning. Survival mode. And that survival mode is you're in a traumatized state all the time. You, you, the same physiological response you have in your body in survival mode is the same that you have in like very traumatized states, right? You're just kind of like fight or flight or freeze. And so you're in this very heightened, uh, very intense state. And so it's very hard to see what your options are when you're in that state. Doing what's necessary to come out of that is really important. And there are lots of tools and resources and frameworks to help you show up in a way that's aligned right? There's some people who are just kind of like going around, they're advocating, but they're slashing and burning. They're blowing things up as they're quote unquote advocating. And I'm seeing this in some spaces as well, where people are so mad. Now they feel like they have to like attack, but that doesn't really serve the community neither. You'll have to be able to show up in a way that's aligned (laughs) and effective and proactive, not reactive, right? Really having uh, a plan to follow through with. Yeah. Instead of just slashing and burning everything because it's you're the, mad at the, uh, the respond, changes that are happening in medicine. Respond, not react. And and I think exactly. we have been really reactory. Like you mentioned the person that they took their PTO vacation days. Yeah, that's but you're behind the eight ball at that point. But there's yeah. we have got to educate ourselves to have those powerful responses to say, No, this is this is this is where the line is and you've just crossed it. So, yeah. Talking about that, because I know when I talk to you, I always get just like invigorated, IV pump, push passion into me. And you like (laughs) reignite that passion that's within me. But for our listeners out there who are those heart-centered, mission-driven doctors who are listening to you right now, and they are like, hell fucking yes, I am jumping on the ship with you, Yvonne. You've talked about some of the tools and stuff you need you know, about taking care of yourself, building in that capacity, not evidently more resiliency, but more of being anti-fragile. I love that because when I think of anti-fragile, I think of the cases that they carry nuclear weapons in, (laughs) you know, like, you know, like don't pop the case, don't cut the red (laughs) wire because shit's going to go down. I love it. I love it. I love it so much. What can what can our peers, what can I do in the small little leadership roles that we have today in our own little microspheres? Because that's the only thing we can really control unless like we get a mom president, you know, <laughs> that's what we can control. Yeah. I like to use the acronym ACT, Align, Connect, Train. People always see idealists as people who are like, oh, I believe this and just like, that's it. Right. But the idea of, you know, the true idealist will take action, aligned action. And so A stands for align. The reason I see people, the one of, one of the reasons I see people suffering the most is this thing we talked about, the space between the professed values and the practice values where burnout lives. If you don't know what your values are, or if you're living out of alignment with your values, it's imperative 
that you come back in alignment with those values. So a lot of values work, right? So it's impossible to set boundaries if you don't know what your territory is, where to put your fence and impossible to set boundaries if you don't know what your values are. So to me, values is like ground zero for any work that you're doing, because that's going to values light the way. They're also the compass. So if you're in a situation where you're in leadership, whatever, do you know, first of all, what's important to you? What's, what, what's, what's your compass? Or are you just going there and just trying to do whatever and you're all over the place? So first things first, coming into a space of alignment with your values, discovering, doing the work to discover what your values are, getting a coach or whatever, and discovering what your values are. And then having what we call embodiment practices where you're not, not just living these values. Now you're starting to embody these values because then they'll light the way. Now, when you know what your values are, you can start to set boundaries. For example, if you know that service is important to you and you haven't been serving in a way that feels good, what are the boundaries? What's okay? What's not okay? What's acceptable and what's not acceptable so that I can live this value of service? Do you know what if respect is important to you and you're constantly feeling disrespected? What boundaries do you need in place so that you can now bring respect back into your life? What are the conversations that you need to have? Looking around your life, looking around your teams, what are the ways in which you are in your relationship with yourself or in your relationship with your team and your work, violating your own, your own boundaries and your own values on a regular basis? Anger is big right now in medicine and anger is an indicator of your values or our boundaries being violated or your needs or expectations not being met. So in what ways can you start to bring, have those conversations around boundaries? The other thing that I'll invite you to do is to start doing some shame resilience work because shame is like changes. A lot of change is happening and change is the number one cause of shame in the workplace and shame in the workplace looks like blaming, gossiping, nostalgia, uh, bullying, uh, <laughs> invisible army where it's like, everyone's doing this. You know, no one has an opinion. They just go based on by the lots of things that are happening. How can you start to have systems in place where you can tell the self, yourself the truth about who you are, that you're enough and worthy of love and belonging and being able to check the stories that come up for you when you see crazy things happening. Maybe not crazy. That's not the right word, but wild things happening around you um, in medicine. So lots of different skills around boundaries, around shame, resilience, around giving honest feedback, all of that. But all of those cannot happen if you're not rooted in your values, if you're not having those, those precious times that you spend really developing your own capacity, whether it's self-compassion or, you know, having empathy for others. So, and, and your values as well. So align, connect, right? Being able to have built trust with other people on your teams, wherever you are, and also trust with yourself. So everything I'm saying, always want to have that inner authority where, where am I doing this in my relationship as well with myself, right? So that you're coming from the inside out. So that connection, connecting with yourself, connecting with others, having those trust relationships where you can have the hard conversations about what's going on so that you can do it in a respectful way, in a way that's aligned, in a way that supports the conversation instead of lashing out or people pleasing or fawning all the things we do when we're in shame and then train continuing to do the work necessary to increase your capacity so that you can continue to show up and be of service continue to show up and advocate for yourself continue to show up and advocate for your patients 
and still have the capacity to go home and be a, a human being with your family <laughs> and friends and, and all of that. So I always think about it that way, you know, act like align, do the inner work of aligning and then um, aligning your environment and then connecting with yourself and others around you and then training constantly. This, this is a practice committing to falling down seven times and rising up eight and continuing to show up and day in, day out, keep trying, keep showing up. Whew. Absolutely. And they don't need a coach. They need you as their coach, friends. Yes. Come to me. <laughs> if you're mission-driven, heart-centered, big-hearted nerd, bleeding heart, whatever you want to call us, givers and, and helpers, I'm your gal. <laughs> Where can people find you on the World Wide Web? Everywhere. I'm pretty much Ivana Tor, Y-V-O-N-N-E-A-T-O-R, whether it's on LinkedIn um, or Instagram, Facebook, website, IvanaTor.com. And yeah, reach out, leave a message and, and I'll connect with you. All the things. Friend, you are marvelously amazing. I think Aww, so highly of you. you. And I so thank appreciate you. you coming and sharing today on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. I'm really honored and excited to be here. And if you're out there struggling, you're not alone. You've got this. Reach out for the support and what you're doing matters. Hey, friend. So my word of the year for 2023 is going to be slacking for two reasons. One, I am really going to pull back the throttle in 2023 and see what life is like when I just do enough. Not extra, not overboard, not overworking, burning myself out, burning candle at both ends. Slacking. Something I don't think I've really ever done my entire life. I'm excited about it, but I'm also worried, of course, <laughs> the classic OCD overworker, how this is going to be. The other reason that slack is going to be my word in 2023 is that's where I'm going to hang out. You're not going to see me in a lot of new places. I'm just going to be waiting for you in my DMs on Slack. Yeah, I'll probably occasionally post on Instagram and still send out a few emails, but you're going to see a change in Burnt Out to Badass and Dr. Me First. You're going to just see me waiting willingly and quietly in the corner for those who are ready for help. No more blasting lots of advertisements and marketing and pushing people. When you're ready, you'll come and we're going to see how it goes. So there you go. That's my word for the year. How about you? Have you picked a word? I'd love to hear about it. Send me an email. Better yet, send me a DM in Slack. Or maybe you want to join me and let's make this the year of slacking. All right, friend. Remember, if work is your drug, rest is your recovery. Come over and hang out with Slack and me and start slacking off a little bit in life. Wasn't it a phenomenal conversation? If you are looking for a coach who can get you, who can set you on the right path and really show you how to lead a sustainable, 
thriving career and life. Let me tell you, Yvonne is your woman. She brings the spice. She brings the sash. She brings her full heart. And I cannot say enough wonderful things about her. I didn't get to tell her this, but I want to tell her this now. Lady, the badass in me honors the badass in you. A hundred fucking percent. That is for sure. And for friends out there, if you're someone who's struggling, who doesn't have margin, I'm telling you, you aren't alone. This is not your forever and things can change. They will change. You have options that aren't even in front of your eyes. You don't even know about yet, but they are truly there. Do not quit looking. You are one of those helpers that Dr. Yvonne wants to help. So reach out to her and remember your life, your calling, your pulse matters. I'll see you friend.